0: Go to shopify.com/sonoro to take your business to the next level today. shopify.com/sonoro
2: Business Perfect Formula is available wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: I think the individual stories of these people are what is going to inspire more change.
4: COVID needs collective leadership like we've never had before, and yet we're missing it. This virus is challenging humanity really massively, and we're
5: failing to deal with this. What we do in the next 10 years will shape our world for the next 200 years.
0: But what is happening inside company boards and investment committees and in accountants and this new breed of what I call these activist accountants or warrior accountants is potentially encouraging.
6: Now all of us listening to the podcast, we have a responsibility, we have an opportunity as well to help bring all these disparate, diverse voices together because together they are an unstoppable, potent force that governments must pay attention to.
7: This is the Global Cast, the podcast that shows how we can change the world. This
8: episode is part two of our look at the crisis in the SDGs. We are in search of the key actions that will help us put the Global Goals back on track. So we
7: want to share with you the Zoom town hall that Claudia and I hosted with top corporate, NGO, and UN officials. But first, this.
1: This episode of Global Goalscast is brought to you by MasterCard. MasterCard is dedicated to building an inclusive world in which the digital economy works for everyone, everywhere. Thanks also to CBS News Digital.
8: This is a special edition to discuss the future of the Global Goals. We recorded this live on the final day of the Global Goals Week which is part of the United Nations General Assembly. This year was so bizarre. I missed everyone in New York and the traffic and seeing the champions making a difference and making those connections and feeling the vibrancy of people that want to change the world. But now it was an E-UNGA, totally virtual, and I had to wear my SDG T-shirt at home.
7: I know, and I had to wear my SDG pin at home. We are living in a virtual world. This is the UN's 75th anniversary, and it was always meant to be
8: historic. But this was historic in ways no one intended. In the middle of the worst global pandemic in 100 years, and the worst global economic collapse since 1870. In crisis, sustainability always falls through the cracks. COVID came and hit hard everyone from companies, countries, and individuals. We are one-third of the way through the Global Goals timeline of 2015 to 2030, but we have slipped backwards this year by decades. The entire UNGA slang for the UN General Assembly, we heard powerful ideas on how to move forward. We are realistic, but we are optimistic, and therefore, we're possibilistic because we know it's possible. And we have super smart guests to help on that conversation. That's right, let's get them in right now. It's a good point to
7: mention, by the way, that the audio is not up to our extremely high standards that our producer Simon Janes puts on this, but the content is so important that we thought it was worth sharing. So I began by asking the co-founder of Project Everyone, Kate
3: Garvey, what really struck her. I am going to take the optimistic side of things, and I think that... The Sustainable Development Goals got renamed earlier on this week by my co-founder as the Sustainable Development Solutions. Actually, we do know what we need to do, and had we done it before, we'd be better prepared. But now is the time. There has never been a better time, a more obvious time, that we know what to do, and now we've got to get on and do it. Thank you, Kate. So. A regular now at Global Goalscast, our good
7: friend, creator of Moral Money, editor-at-large U.S. Financial Times, Gillian Tett. What struck you? Okay, well, the top-line story that dominated the news was things
0: like the spat between President Xi and Donald Trump about who's more to blame for global emissions. But to my mind, picking up on Kate's point, one of the most interesting developments was something that got almost no attention, which was the big four accounting firms came together and agreed to create a sort of a unified framework for ESG reporting, SDG reporting. They took the alphabet soup, or they're hoping to take the alphabet soup of accounting standards and make it a bit more tasty. And that sounds really geeky and boring and dull. But believe me, the way people measure the world and their actions in it, if you are a company or a financier, is critical that drives behavior and so oddly enough this geeky accounting step forward if you're looking for solutions
8: may end up being a lot more important than actually what was on the front pages of most of the media. Partnerships Goal 17 was a big topic yesterday at the Leaders on Purpose Summit we can't get there alone which is why we're so glad
9: to have Anne-Marie Hu with us. Anne-Marie. I agree. Solutions was really a big theme of UNGA this year. And not just solutions, but the idea of the urgency that goes beyond the solutions. I think people are starting to recognize that all of these pre existing inequalities, COVID has just brought them to bear. And really, this is our opportunity right now to focus in on who is being left behind, who is not getting the access, and be able to find those supercharged solutions. I would say also that as virtual has become our new reality, it really is a challenge for us to be better communicators about the global goals and how people can get involved. So, now another
7: dear friend of Global Goals Cast and a recovering journalist himself, Rajesh Mishandani, Chief Communications Officer, UN Foundation. What struck you?
6: conversations I've heard this week confirm one thing, that COVID-19 has impacted everyone in every aspect of our lives. It's shown us we're only as strong as our weakest and that our global community depends on each other like never before. You know, it's making inequality worse. It's reversing progress that we've already made. And it's showing us that our health systems were both underprepared and unequal. That's one of the reasons really why we launched a campaign called Unite for Health, because it's only when we stand strong, and united across countries, across communities, across sectors, that we can defeat new challenges, we can protect progress, we can strengthen those uh, systems so they reach everyone, everywhere, fairly. And you know what COVID-19 has also underlined? Something that we already knew, that the issues we face are interconnected, health, equality, climate, everything, at the most fundamental level. That understanding lies at the heart of the SDGs, and it reminds us that the SDGs are our way out of this if we work together.
8: Thank you so much, Anne-Marie, Rajesh, and Kate, pretty much I want to call you up because you pretty much cooked the entire Global Goals Week. And I miss being part of that kitchen, guys, but it's so great to have you. Now, as I said, we aim to be a voice of optimism for the global goals, but also shine a light on where things need to be called out or where extra attention should be shown. So where are we currently in terms of achieving the 2030 agenda? Let's start with you, Gillian. In terms of hitting the 2030 agenda,
0: sadly, because of COVID, many of the health and poverty and female inclusion goals, as you just heard, have been badly undermined. That just is a reality that COVID has set a lot of progress back The one bit of good news is that the sheer shock of the event has galvanized many companies and financial groups. And it's really shown three things. One is that science matters. You can't ignore science. Secondly, we do live in an interconnected world where the weakest link matters too because if the weakest link breaks, we all suffer. And thirdly, it's shown that behavior can change. And you're seeing rising pressure in the aftermath of COVID from consumers and ordinary citizens and employees on their company leadership saying what's going to happen. So even though you've had a lot of company leaders and financial leaders badly distracted, many of them continue to get engaged with the sustainable development goals and keep pushing that forward. So that's a bit of, you know, encouragement, if you like. But the macro picture is not encouraging, sadly.
7: And Kate, at Global Goalscast, we like to say we like to spread facts, not the virus. And you've designated today the day of factivism. So tell us more about that.
3: Yeah, well, it is the fifth anniversary of the Global Goals today. So happy Global Goals Day to everyone we, <laughs> who remembers where we were five years ago. Very tired, I think. And we were trying to reach everyone with the goals. Well, I think what we've just worked out is Yes, people need to know about the goals. Yes, it's great that we're wearing our badges and people understand and are starting to recognize the brand behind it. But it is about the facts behind the goals and what people can do about it. That's what we hear people say. What can I actually do? So the day of Factivism is partly sharing real-time data that our friends at GPSDD and Sustainable Development Solutions Network have created, sharing those real-time data behind the goals, but then Absolutely being clear about what people can do about it, whether it 's p- being part of a campaign or a movement, whether it 's taking individual action, whether it 's being part of of speaking to businesses about what more they can do, and obviously politicians too, holding everyone accountable to that, but finding ways to communicate better what these real facts are. I just jumped off a call i 'm sorry i 'm losing my voice. Um, about Wiki Loves SDGs. So bringing two of my worlds together, it was fantastic. There were hundreds of volunteers who have increased thousands of articles on the goals that were really quite badly represented. Um, Young people from around the world, uh, Global North, Global South coming together to write more about what's behind the goals in an excellent online encyclopedia.
8: Yeah. And I love actually that you're able to bring the two worlds together and that you're not losing your voice because you are shouting too strongly the facts and the figures that people should hear. Like, get it now. And now, Rajesh, have we lost momentum on climate action?
6: You know, Claudia, that is the, the, the big question. The climate crisis has not gone away. I think we all know that. Despite the global economic slowdown and the lockdown reducing economic activity, greenhouse gas emissions are at their highest concentration ever. The world just experienced its warmest, te- highest temperatures. Look at the news. I mean, if it's not COVID, it's wildfires or it's floods or it's droughts around the world. That is the problem when we see that some world leaders are not following the science and are not stepping up like they should. But in the absence of that international-level leadership there is so much leadership being shown at so many different levels. And this is something that, uh, again, I've really noticed in the events that I've been dialing into this week. You know, we're seeing companies signing up to be net zero, setting science-based targets. We're seeing regional leaders taking the lead too. Uh, There's an organization that's hosted the UN Foundation called the US Climate Alliance, which is a group of bipartisan state governors in the US covering more than 60% of the US population and GDP committed to the goals of the Paris Agreement. It's under the auspices of that organization that Governor Newsom of California this week announced moves to make all new cars sold in California electric by 2030. That is a good thing. We're seeing new leaders coming together at local levels as well. The Secretary General has this year inaugurated the Youth Advisory Group on Climate Change of Young People, supported by a wider group of young climate activists that we're regularly in touch with, that number in the thousands, they're all doing work in their own communities and on the ground together because they get it. They follow the science, they follow the data. You know, they are factivists already and they're already leading and pushing. And I think together, all of us here on this call now, all of us listening to the podcast, we have a responsibility, we have an opportunity as well to help bring all these disparate, diverse voices together because together they are an unstoppable potent force that governments must pay attention to.
7: Let's stick with this point about climate change. Uh, there was an article I read this week, it was by Hugh Van another friend of the podcast. He was arguing that corporations and markets are adapting faster than governments to climate change. So Anne-Marie, I wonder, those governments are all members of
9: the UN So what can the UN do to help move governments? I think momentum hasn't slowed down as much as we may think with COVID. Last year, you'll remember, it was Greta coming into the harbor, met by all of these SDG sailboats, and there was a lot of excitement around that. But I think that excitement is carried through by that intergenerational leadership that Rajesh was just talking about. Yesterday, the Secretary General held his climate roundtable, and one leader after another, decarbonization was definitely the biggest theme in that roundtable. And bringing together all of these leaders from both governments as well as private sector, you can see that there are coalitions and actions being taken and commitments being made with follow-up. And the UK prime minister said, you know, COVID caught us off guard, but things like climate change, we can't say that they have caught us off guard. If anything, we know exactly what needs to be done, and we need now the political will to do it. And so I was really excited to see from industries such as the cement industry to Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, coming together again around that net zero, making those commitments, and bringing the coalition so that we can actually get to scale on some of these really incredible solutions.
8: Yeah. Gillian, does that ring true to you that markets and corporations are moving faster on climate
0: Absolutely. Not
8: in all sectors, but it
0: really is a case of rising investor pressure. And it was very interesting because I took part last week in an event to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Milton Friedman's landmark essay. He was the economist, the American economist, who said that as far as companies are concerned, the only duty of company leaders and financiers is to care about shareholders and maximizing shareholder returns so we started off the conversation with a big split between people who were talking about sdgs and esg and the people who only care about maximizing returns but by the end of the discussion we suddenly had a rare moment of harmony because the level of transparency that's emerging around company accounts and financial activity and the degree of consumer And employee pressure combined means that if you're running a company or a financial group today, you cannot afford to alienate large numbers of your consumers' employees who have access to that data over things like your carbon footprint. So suddenly, even Milton Friedman, if he was alive today, would probably say, actually, it makes sense for a CEO to care about this because actually it's going to affect the business or the financial group. And I think that is so important. It's not well understood because many of the people who've been doing this incredible work on global poverty and climate change come from a science background or an activism background or a non-profit background. But what is happening inside company boards and investment committees and in accountants and this new breed of what I call these activist accountants or warrior accountants is potentially encouraging in an otherwise
8: quite depressing landscape. Thank you, Rajesh.
6: I'm just laughing at the idea of warrior accountants. It's a fabulous (laughs) image. As someone who gave up accountancy during my economics degree, because my tea tables wouldn't balance, I could have done with a warrior accountant, I tell you. I just wanted to just build on some of the points that the others have made. You know, I was at a at. I, would, I, I dialed into a virtual dinner last night with a group of international CEOs, a really high-powered group, and we were talking about the need for greater global cooperation and the need for greater collective action. And they all mentioned how they had seen the speed with which different sectors came together over COVID, or are coming together over COVID, as something that they'd never seen before. This ability and willingness to form partnerships that have never existed before, to make something that's greater than the sum of its parts, was really inspiring to people. And they felt that that could translate to other issues as well. So, for example, on climate change, you know, There is a willingness to build coalitions across communities and sectors now like I've never seen it before. And to the point about are markets and businesses moving faster? Yeah, of course, because that's what they're good at. I mean, they have the innovativeness, they have the agility that is often not quite as honed, shall we say, in the public sector or the social sector. And that's what they're really good at. And that's why they're such a powerful force, not only to be at the table, but to be driving the conversation as well.
7: So, Kate, I wanted you to tell us about some of the positive developments. I loved reading the goalkeepers report, reading about the decision that Ethiopia made to to continue its vaccination program. You pointed out India and digital payments, increasing money going to women. What are you most excited about in terms of the positive things we've seen?
3: A lot of the young people that have come through the goalkeeper community and campaign are the people that have inspired us. So this year, we gave Global Goals Awards to three outstanding change makers from India, Nepal and Nigeria. And so they are setting the way. They, they have pivoted what they're doing. They have changed to, to adapt and they are not stopping. And I think that's amazing. Then there's the more senior global goalkeeper, Dr. John Kekasam from the CDC in Africa, who, who was awarded too. I mean, he really is at the top of his game. And yet his humility about sharing his award with the people that he works with across the continent of Africa has been extraordinary. So I think the individual stories of these people are what is going to inspire more change. And I think through goalkeepers and a lot of the work that we do with the UN bringing out these stories is what's going to keep the momentum going.
8: Yeah and keep the momentum going is what you guys are doing at Project Everyone. I really admire the the drive, and you know, like this is not a sprint, it's a marathon, so you have to have always creative ideas on how to engage people and how to keep on winning the hearts and the minds and everything we're doing and to making UNGA even a hot potato and a hot ticket, like a sexy thing, that's amazing. So before we open it up for everyone, just for everyone in the panel, leaving the UNGA or the Global Goals Week, what are you most worried about?
6: That we'll have to do it virtually again next year.
8: <laughs> that would suck totally. <laughs> oh yeah, Please,
6: no. I'm inspired every day by the forcefulness and the vigor and the determination of young people around the world. They're doing this stuff regardless of anybody. They're not waiting to be told or asked. It's our job to kind of get out of the way and connect them. So I'm inspired by that. But I'm I'm <laughs> I'm really worried about actual you know health progress on tackling the pandemic. That's the thing that keeps us all up at night, I think. And that's why it's great to see that major governments have announced commitments to equitable development and and delivery of vaccines when the vaccines are actually available. Because if, you know, none of us are safe until all of us are safe. And so it's that very real question mark that hangs over what will our world look like in 12 months from now, that really does worry me. But Our faith in the SDGs has only been, my faith in the SDGs has only been underlined by what's happening around the world now.
10: What I'm worried about is
0: an accident that causes part of the cyber connection that we've come to rely on in the current Covid crisis to break down. I think that would be a very debilitating blow. I'm worried about a deep economic recession that goes on and on. I think that we haven't really seen the cost of what's happened yet because so much Government money's been thrown at it, propping up. And if either of those two happen, I would then be very worried about yet more distraction away from the global goals, unfortunately. Yeah. I know that will happen, but that's my concern. And then, of course, living in America, it's not easy to ignore the potential for political upheaval too.
8: So I'm going to open it up now for our incredible group in the audience. So let's start actually with Alan Jope. I would love to hear from the CEO of Unilever. What is your perspective? How do you see it happening in your company, Alan?
5: Well, look, first of all, I did put in the chat that I'm worried about uh, the mismatch where our carbon emissions just keep going up and up and up and... uh, Somewhere in some panel or other, someone said what we do in the next 10 years will shape our world for the next 200 years. And it's a sobering thought that we are really at uh, such a tipping point. And I've always said for the last few years that I think climate change and inequality are the two superordinate problems. And I'm starting to change my view that climate change is even, even more important than uh, inequality and harder to deal with and requires more of a system change. And so what are we going to do about it? You know, we're we're just a soap and ice cream company. Our theory on change is first get our own house in order, so we're going to keep making commitments on emissions, equality, climate and nature, social impact. Step 1, step 2, Get our value chain in order. The choose our suppliers preferentially. If a supplier has not made net 0 commitments, we will not do business with them. So use our value chain. Then the third is use our brands to change perceptions. And you know, as crazy as it sounds, Hellman's is starting to get food waste on the agenda. Uh, food waste on its own would be the third biggest country in the world on carbon emission. And then last but not least is advocacy. So this week's a, a lot about advocacy, but it's the, it's the last step in our theory of change It begins with getting our own house in order, then our value chain, then our brands, and only then advocacy, because there's an awful lot of talk, and we need a little bit more walk.
7: Thank you. So I'm seeing that somebody else here is on, Brad. David Nabarro is another friend of the podcast, and we loved having you on, talking about COVID-19, a lot about the facts, a lot about what we can do. So I wonder, what's your perspective coming from through this health crisis, through the pandemic. How have you experienced Global Goals Week? What are you worried about? Any solution you saw this week that you want to point us towards?
4: Thanks very much indeed. Well, I look back to 2015 with a very warm glow in my heart because that was the year when all of us were able to see the whole effort for the Goals come to fruition and 193 member states supporting it. I remembered an an incredible sense of satisfaction. And I thought, wow, we've turned the corner. And that came even stronger when I was with Ban Ki-moon in Paris for the COP21 outcome. It was tough, but we got there. And, you know, never have we needed these goals more than right now as uh, the world is responding to a pandemic that is showing the weakness of our health systems everywhere and it's also showing just how much equity matters when it comes to dealing with a massive health crisis but this has been a bad week for me because we have not got the level of political solidarity at the number one level that we really need to get a true response to COVID that is operating within the overall umbrella of the goals. I mean I I, listening to Alan and listening to others, I think, yeah, we've got some fabulous, fabulous work underway, inspired by the goals, but political leadership has become a bit defective. And obviously we know why, but we've got to find a way through this. So I'd just like to make one proposal, Edie. Uh, actually, every one of us has to find that little extra bit of capacity not only to lead for ourselves, but also to encourage others to lead in the current void of global political unanimity. It's really serious because COVID needs Collective leadership like we've never had before, and yet we're missing it. So we have to find it in other places, not from presidents and prime ministers, but we have to find it in the local communities, in businesses, in professional organizations, in labor unions, in community groups, in religious communities as well, local authorities, because... This virus is challenging humanity really massively. And we're failing to deal with this. And climate change, as Alan's just said, is a much, much, much bigger issue. And we'll mess up on climate change. So it's a call for disaggregated but incredibly powerful and joyful leadership from everybody, women, children and men, to help us through this. That's what I've been thinking this week.
8: Thank you so very much, David and Alan. Um, Hearing you and knowing that you've been such a champion of inequality and making sure that that is at the forefront and hearing you now um, really raise the concern about like, are we taking enough action? Are we really going to make climate change a reality?
7: I see Caroline Boudreau as, as well is here, and she was actually on our first episode of Global Goals Cast. She is the one who gave me the line that I now use virulently, that the global goals are the world's to-do list. Caroline, you work with some of those right at the bottom of the pyramid. I wonder what you can tell us from your experience of the last few months.
10: Nice to be with you, I'm Caroline Boudreau. I run the Miracle Foundation. We work with children in the foster care and orphan system globally. To work to get them into families and what we have seen is that these youth specifically at the bottom of the financial pyramid they don't want action they want to be in action they want to take action and so inspiring the youth is so super simple it's a very easy thing to do to inspire them and then what we do with them is we give them very specific things to do about each one of the goals. So we encourage them to grow their own food, to talk about people that are in hunger, or we encourage them to not use any single use plastics and just these really super tangible things that the average bear can do toward the goals has been a very effective way. You know, I know it's not at scale and I know, but, but you know, if we all did our part, nothing's heavy if everyone lifts and giving kids a way to participate in the goals and do things every day to work toward the goals really helps them be of service and that's what this generation that we're talking about, I'm talking about kids under um, 21, they want to be of service and they want action and they demand action from us as well.
8: So let's ask the young people. We have here uh, Sephora. Sephora leads a group in One Young World before going to Scarlett. Sephora, is this Global Goals Week giving you action on what you need to do stuff as a a millennial? Or maybe you're Gen Z, I don't know. Yeah, I've I've aged out of of Gen Z. I'm in the millennial group now. But
11: I think in absorbing everything that I've heard, I think on the one end, there has been no shortage of, of reason to be inspired. I think everyone here agrees that there's Again, an excessive amount of amazing energy that is going around the world when it comes to action on COVID, when it comes on all the inequities that we've been discussing, that been mentioned, but I would agree with David. I think a lot of this effort sometimes feels lost almost, or that it, it goes recognized in moments like this, but the continuity and the, the multilateralism that is involved in kind of lifting up a lot of this work when it comes to our government relations, it does become frustrating. I mean, we've thrived in this period, supporting our young leaders through our COVID-19 Young Leaders Fund, which is very generously funded. But, you know, that funding hopefully won't come to an end. But, you know, the the cash that is sustaining these young leaders is also drying up, as was pointed out, the global economy is starting to, to shrink as well. So my worry is the sustainability of this effort, because we need to find a way of sustaining that work but it really does often come to the cash. The motivation is there, the will is there, but I just hope that we can extend this work well beyond the next couple of years because I I foresee the situation kind of continuing and the inequalities deepening to a point where hopefully we can dig ourselves out of it when this
7: hopefully comes to, to an end at some point. We've also got Gary Cohen, I think, wants to say
12: something too. I'm watching what's happening in places like Kenya, which has mobilized with cross-sector collaboration to establish capabilities that just would not have happened around hand washing. If you look at what's happening with global surveillance with COVID-19, for years, maybe decades, the public health community has wished we could establish global surveillance for problems like antimicrobial resistance and other infections. And necessity became the mother of invention. One of the reasons why it's so hard to mobilize around prevention is because prevention, people don't see the problem yet. People will mobilize when there's a crisis, as there is now with COVID-19, and come to a common, let's say, set of motives. So I really think we should be identifying what are the necessities being caused by COVID-19 that are causing now problems to be solved that otherwise wouldn't be solved, and then how do we work towards sustainability long-term sustainability and leverage. What's happening now with surveillance and diagnostic testing in COVID-19 is leverageable to much broader problems. It's potentially sustainable, but we've got to focus almost from the inside out, if you will, to sustain it, in my view. That's
8: awesome, Gary. Um, so I want to call on Andy Farrell from Mars because I think that he's putting his, uh, you know, he's not preaching water and drinking wine. He's doing what he's saying.
13: We've certainly, from a raw materials point of view, fo- focused on 10 where we we know we can make a difference on the environment we know we can make a difference on poverty we know we can make a difference on human rights and we know we need to and then we're reviewing them we're reviewing at a board level we're incentivizing our top 300 leaders against delivering against them they're part of the shareholder objectives for the company overall i mean that's i think one of the benefits of being privately held is we have a small number of investors there are 12 of them you can speak to them all in an afternoon and and they care about these matters and they're, they're judging us against it so So I, you know, so it really is about driving things through your, through the supply chain. I think a lot of that's happening. I think this is going to be a long haul, though. You know, the reality is people are moving at different speeds. I think the good thing with business is that I think increasingly business is taking this on board. And I think business probably has greater longevity than politics the business cycle is probably longer than the political cycle when stuff is when and when a business decides it wants to do thing it probably does it for a longer term but i think really the political sphere is really the area where most focus is needed because that is getting worse it's getting more divided you're picking your science based on your politics
7: many important ideas in that conversation and here's one more Women will play a crucial role in the world's recovery. Our sponsor, MasterCard, has just completed their latest report on women entrepreneurs. There's a new country at the top of their rankings. Here's MasterCard's Rose Beaumont.
14: The next normal is absolutely an opportunity for us to course correct, understanding that the powerhouse of women business owners in developing countries and in developed countries are amongst the hardest hit by the economic storm resulting from the pandemic. So what regions are doing well
7: in 2020 and where do you see the most challenges?
14: there has been some changes in the top 10 for this year, where Israel, for example, has put fantastic new policies in place to really help female entrepreneurs thrive. We've seen them rise to the top of the rankings. That's not to say that New Zealand, who was last year's number one, isn't still providing the right environment. It is just that we're seeing different countries start to move at different speeds. So I think overall, where you have strong, positive Intervention from governments. We are seeing some great progress. But I think it's important to realize that it's not an emerged versus emerging conversation. That there are countries who consider themselves highly emerged and highly developed who are still challenging for women entrepreneurs. Countries like Japan, for example. However, what we are seeing is that there is a real will and a real movement to help move women forward. I think what we need to do is use this data and insights to help people see how they can be part of the solution rather than highlighting just the issues.
7: So, end of season four. Congratulations, Claudia. It was a little different than
8: we planned it, but it looks like we'll be back. Uh, That's amazing. And COVID really affected our scheduling as well. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you to all our guests on this episode. Thank you for subscribing and giving us your love at Global Goalscast. Exactly. Like, follow, subscribe, and we will see you in 2021. See you next year. Looking forward to closing this year.
14: Yes.
1: Global Goalscast was hosted by Edie Lush and Claudia Romo-Edelman. We are editorial guru by Mike Oreskes. Editing and sound production by Simon James. Our operations director is Michelle Kupreiter Howard. And thanks to our glorious volunteers, Amanda Friedland, Julia Lombardo, Taryn Rini, Daria Volova lynch and Stuart Zuckerman. Music in this episode was by Neil Hale, Angelica Garcia, Simon James, Katie Krohn, and Andrew Phillips. This episode is brought to you by MasterCard, creating scalable solutions for sustainable and inclusive economic growth. Thanks also to CBS News Digital.
14: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with
2: Victoria Cash.